So the energy that you can create on site is then feeding straight into the electric vehicle. And when your electric vehicle isn't parked under the solar carport, the energy is feeding into a battery storage system so that when the car is returned to its um, parking space, it can then be offset into the vehicle. Like so a carport for your home. That's right, carport so, for your home. So instead of a garage, perfect. have a carport. So um, and for those listening, it, it's essentially, it's got a roof with solar panels to cover your car and it's also a charging station. Welcome, this is Phil Michaels, Forbes 30 Under 30 Entrepreneur and Performance Coach. Forbes names the top 30 entrepreneurs, leaders, and stars in the world. And each week, we bring you one of them to help you level up in your life and business. From celebrities like LeBron James to Kylie Jenner and Cardi B, you're sure to learn from the list. Thanks for spending time with me today. Now it's time to level up. Level up. Welcome to Phil with Forbes 30 Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest. She made the Forbes Europe list in 2020 for the manufacturing and industry category. She worked at Tesla specializing in electric vehicles while in its infancy in the UK, educating and showcasing new innovations for the first time. Environmental impacts were what eventually led her to start her own business in 2016 called Salisco, which provides solar powered carports that can charge electric vehicles. In 2018, Salisco was awarded Global Clean Energy's Most Innovative Electric Vehicle Power Tech Provider. Please welcome my very special guest, Parveen Begum. Hi, Phil. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me on your podcast today. I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. Very excited to have you here. I can't wait to share your story with the audience. Uh, welcome to the show. It's my honor. And you are calling all the way in from St. Lucia, right? How did that That's happen? Correct. <laughs> that is correct. So I am on this beautiful tropical island, um, a bit of a Corona story there. So very unexpected. I arrived here on the 6th of March just for the week. Uh, I had some business meetings, uh, a bit of paperwork to do and, uh, that week happened to be the week where the UK um, went down into lockdown and the pandemic took over. And so I couldn't travel back home. The last plane left us. And um, here I am three months later, actually really enjoying myself here. Um, I think certainly what this time has taught us is that you can work from absolutely anywhere. So if given the choice, I think a lot of people would trade with me right now. Yeah, um, talk really about the perfect <laughs> place to be locked down, not only during COVID, but for someone that's running a solar company that, that can use the oh, sun power. That's right. That's right. I mean, honestly, it's been such a boost to be out here. And I actually found out about my Forbes news whilst being out here on the island. So it really um, was the best news I'd heard since two Amazing. weeks then, because at that time, you can imagine, it was just full of bad news. Um, so when I received the Forbes news, I felt that, it actually gave me the motivation to continue with my mission and to be here on an island where there's so much sun energy and there's so much potential um, for electrification in particular. Oh, it's been incredible. Incredible. And you've been there for months now. I mean, this is amazing. Talk about That's luck. Right. That's and, right. I feel, uh, like, I feel like a Lucian, actually. So I've really <laughs> managed to use this time to get to know what the culture is here, mm. um, really understand the people and their values. Um, the food is great out here. I mean, 
the veg, the fruits, everything has its own natural flavors. Um, I'm surrounded by coconut trees, uh, mango trees, breadfruit trees. It's insane. Well, I can say out of all the people I've interviewed so far, you by far have the best background (laughs) for your Zoom call. (laughs) That's right. Well, I'm sending everybody some sunny spells, I hope. (laughs) There you go. And I think it's also the point you and I were talking about earlier, which is people can work from anywhere. And maybe this is a blessing in disguise and it's forcing people to realize like, let's pause, reflect and reevaluate. How are we living our daily lives? What is the quality of life like for us? Because a lot of people, they live where they work. So they only live there because their job happens to be there. Imagine working wherever you want to live, living an amazing quality of life around the world and still being able to work the job that you love, that you're passionate about, that you're competent at. Oh, I absolutely agree, Phil. I think, I mean, we've all been guilty of it at some point. We've been part of this fast-paced rat race of a lifestyle. And from the house to the, to the car, being stuck in traffic, and then fighting for a space in the car park to only go and run into another indoor space. And just to be so uninspired you know it's it's been a really tough time for people and i don't think that that people have realized it consciously during that time but now that we've been in this lockdown now that we've been working from home or from other spaces i think it's so evident that we can and we can actually be more creative and more efficient with our time so here we have a very small window where we can work because of course we're working on par with the UK and and, and the other European countries so it's an early start and then from 6 a.m to 12 p.m you get all the work that you need to do covered and then you've got the rest of the afternoon to go to the beach and go and eat some great food and just you know engage in sports activities it's it's a really really great lifestyle great lifestyle it's made me reevaluate how I want to do things and I get back and possibly even be back here for some parts of the year. Right. Who knows? <laughs> there you go. I mean, that's why I'm in Tampa, Florida. I was living in Boston the past three and a half years and I realized I absolutely hate the cold weather. <laughs> I don't know how people do it. Once you get a taste of that sunshine and you live a different quality of life, because it affects your day-to-day lifestyle and you realize like, I'm going to live where I want to live. I'm going to live the life that I want to live. And I'll do the work that I want to do as well. And I can do that from anywhere. I mean, even my girlfriend's boss realized they were paying for like all these apps and softwares and subscriptions they weren't even using. And probably would have never even realized that if it wasn't for this blessing in disguise that's forcing people to pause and reflect and reevaluate. Sure thing, sure thing. And I think people are very reliant on their routines. So um, for a lot of people getting up in the morning and getting that coffee from Starbucks and then going to the office and eating at their desk, it's become such a a terrible lifestyle that nobody has actually thought about it until now. And I think a lot of people should and, and hopefully will be going into more healthier positive um, approach when it comes to work and the mindset is is so important and and being surrounded by you know good good energy and good activities and 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 good lifestyle is is really what we need to make people more productive and and more successful so i am really really glad that some positive has come out of this time yes a proactive more conscious intentional way to start their day rather than a reactive rush 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 get to work gotta commute I mean, I I know people are building their home offices that the way that they want to design them and 
it's a beautiful thing. I think it's forcing people to be more efficient and they're realizing we might not need to pay for the things that we've been paying for. I have one uh, friend that I was just interviewing and she said she had been buying so many things on Amazon. She realized how many unnecessary things she owned. And now she has a new rule for herself. She can put it in the Amazon cart, but has to leave it there for 24 hours before she actually goes through with the purchase. And 24 hours later, re visit the question of, do I actually need this? <laughs> That's a really smart way. That's a really, really smart way. I must say there's been many times, I think everybody's guilty of it. We're just bored and we start browsing around or something flashes on the screen and you add it to the car and it's so unnecessary. And when it arrives, you think, okay, did I really order this? And do I really need this? So um, I think I'm going to take that rule up myself and, and see if I, if I, uh, I end up purchasing less with that. There we go. <laughs> So Parveen, before we dive into the business, take us back to the very beginning, where you're from, where you grew up, and the path that led you to where you are now, ultimately making it to the Forbes list. Sure thing. So I grew up in, um, in, in the UK, so just north of Birmingham, there's a small town called West Bromwich. You might know it from West Bromwich Albion football, if you're a football fan. Um, so it's, a, it's quite a small town. Um, we grew up from very... I mean, I think it's fair to say I came from very humble beginnings. My, my father migrated to the, uh, to the UK when he was only 11 years old. His dad had actually um, been part of the Royal Navy. He was uh, part of the team on the ships. So uh, back then, the, the Silities of Bangladesh uh, were famous for coming over to the UK to, to help on the freight ships. Um, and so my, my grandfather was here and... Um, he was able to bring his son across. And so my dad grew up with, with quite a bit of poverty. You know, it wasn't very easy for him. Um, at a young age, he, he had to finish his studies quite quickly and start working to provide for his family. And um, when we were born, essentially, it was, we just need to survive. You know, we need to have a great education, which was very important for my parents that we had. And um, we weren't very... We weren't very fortunate to, to be traveling or to be going on, you know, family trips here and there. Dad was very, very busy with his businesses. He started off as a chef and um, then he went on to um, establish his businesses uh, later on in property and, and in retail fashion. So he was a very busy father and my mother was looking after her children. So, you know, growing up, it was, it was quite tough. But I remember that education, going to school was, was kind of the highlight for me. It sounds a bit geeky, but when you've got nothing else to look forward to, you know, you, you look forward to seeing your friends and you look forward to learning. And that was certainly what, what I thrived off. So, um, I remember back in high school, sort of coming to the last two years of, of my education, I was quite frustrated. I felt that I'd, I'd been in sort of academia for so long and now I was ready to do something different. But everybody around me said, no, Parveen, you're going to do great things. You need to go to university. You need to go to college and get your A-levels and then you need to go to university. And so that was the, the path I embarked on initially. I um, finished my A-levels. I took A-levels in English, psychology and law. Um, I came up with some really good uh, grades for my law in particular and I applied for law school and I got in. So I went to law school, was there for a year, realized that actually, is this what I really want to do for the rest of my life? I suddenly felt that everybody's advice for me had pushed me into something that my heart really wasn't in. So um, at the time I was working uh, part-time for Burberry 
um, which was a fantastic place to build up a bit of experience, a bit of, um, you know, a bit of money. And I realized that an opportunity had come along. So my manager set me aside and said, Paveen, I know you're a part-time staff member, but you've been really excelling in your work and the team love you and you've got a really good work ethos. We're actually buying back our uh, designer label for menswear and children's wear. And there's a great opportunity to start a new department, to recruit a new team and to really take the brand you know, back. So would you be interested in becoming a manager? And so at the time, I was only 21, um, you know, I was faced with a law degree for this management career, and I just couldn't make up my mind. I knew that my heart was in it to do something different, but I kept having these nagging voices and, and also some real voices from friends and family who were just obsessed with me becoming a lawyer. So um, I went to my dad and I, and I asked him the question. I said, dad, I've got this opportunity with Burberry, but obviously I've got this degree that I'm, I'm doing. What do you think I should do? And I really value that my dad didn't make a big conversation out of it. He just said, you just need to do what you really want to do. And I just thought, you know what? As soon as he said that, I felt working, doing this, um, you know, starting this career with Burberry is, is what I want. So that's what I did. I, I dropped out of law school, which a lot of people were just like, hey, how, how are you doing that? But I decided, no, I'm going to take this opportunity and I'm going to make the most of it. And so, Good yeah. For you. That's I, a tough I, decision yeah. at such a young age to be able to make for that sure. with your for own sure. wherewithal and uh, just knowing what you wanted and, and where you were going to go next. That's a huge dedication and commitment to your own passion and your own happiness rather than, you know, it seems like a common thing for entrepreneurs. You're bombarded with social peer pressure from friends, from family, from people that care about you and they want the best for you, but it's not always what is best for you or what you want. That's and you were able to realize that at such a young age. That's right. No, absolutely. And I think because I knew how important it was to my father that we were all educated, I almost felt like, would I be letting him down by not going ahead with my degree? But I was just so pleased that he told me to do what I wanted to do. And I really value that he wanted me to be happy, essentially. And when I started working for Burberry as a manager full time, it was such a great experience. I was definitely left to my own devices. You know, nobody really interfered. I was able to recruit my own team and from everything to choosing the space to the construction the you know the the buying of products meeting with head office um, down in London it was a, a really really great experience and I think it really equipped me it gave me a toolkit you know it gave me that independence I felt a lot older than my age in fact um, I remember having my 21st birthday celebrations a few weeks into the job and I had like comments on my birthday card from my team members saying, oh my God, you're only 21. We always thought you were older than us. I was, I was the youngest in the team. Wow. Yeah, I was their manager, but we just all really got along and I, I didn't feel that, you know, I was superior to them as a manager. We just, we were all equal. We were doing a great job. And I think um, that's what really got me um, fired up to, to want to work for myself and to want to do something different. So three years on, um, as a manager for Burberry, I got to a point where everything had come to a standstill. Figures were great. Um, you know, everything was running smoothly. Management were happy. But I just felt like, okay, this mission is over. What next? And I still remember consciously having that thought process, which I believe a lot of people don't 
people end up are too, are too comfortable in a job and end up going with it because they know it's a secure income. They know their, their wages will come on time. They know they've got a pension and, you know, everything's in order. Whereas for me, it's like, okay, it's an end of a chapter. Let's, let's, let's start with something new now. Um, yeah. Cause most people, they just succumb to the, Oh, this is the next, the very next step in the career. So they just keep following these steps and the companies are smart. They make it difficult for you to leave. They keep those promotions going or they make it, they, they increase the friction. So if you do even think about leading, they're like, Oh, well, listen, we're just going to offer this, uh, you know, next level promotion or another project for you, or we're opening this new department for you. And they just keep leveling it up. So, or here's a company car and they just want to keep you there. So they make that, that decision difficult. I know Google Absolutely. and Facebook are, are known for doing this as well. You know, absolutely, you're hundred percent right. I was faced with all those dilemmas. You know, um, the the opportunity to take over women's wear as well. You know, it was always enticing me to stay. But I remember that I I consciously wanted a change, and I started looking at what's available out there. I knew that I'd had the experience now, and I wanted to start something new. And it was really, I, I mean, I can really say it was a miracle in that within days of having these thoughts I received a phone call from an agency who was uh, essentially headhunting for Tesla. Um, Tesla was so new in the UK they were only um, you know present in London they just launched the Model S the year before so they were very much in their infancy um, yet they just bought a store in in the West Midlands and they just recruited a manager and they had a few people already up and running the store so to have this opportunity you know i mean i'll be honest back then i knew very very little about tesla i knew of nikolai tesla you know i was very passionate about the the historic elements of, of tesla but i had no idea what tesla's presence was you know both in the us and and starting in the uk so it was um, an interesting journey to first of all, have that conversation initially and to understand that there's this opportunity, but then to be given four questions to answer. And, and I had a very tight deadline. Um, it was almost like mini essays that you had to write and, and give back as part of an application. Um, and the questions were things like, so what, what inspires you or what motivates you to want to work for Tesla? And why would you leave your current job for Tesla? Where do you think Tesla's heading? And um, you know, what impact do you think Tesla will have? And so it really gave me the opportunity to research this company in more detail. And I'll tell you, I was completely blown away. I read everything I had to read about Elon Musk. I read everything um, on the master plan that Tesla had. And I was like, wow, they completely kept, captured me. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I started writing the answers and, and I got back with my application and and there I had uh, four interviews. They were very, very uh, difficult. Um, very to, thorough, to it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, I very even, thorough. His, his uh, biography I right here see. by Ashley Vance. <laughs> I was so inspired. I mean, one of, one of the things that stuck out to me was when he was really trying to make a difference with SpaceX and grow it so quickly. And everyone, all these experts he went to at NASA we're just like, nope, that's not possible. And the biggest issue was creating relaunchable rockets because they spend so much money on these rockets and then they're just a one-time use. So the main issue everyone was trying to solve was creating a relaunchable rocket and all these amazing people that he looked up to 
engineers and, and physics physicists were all saying, nope, it's impossible. Physics doesn't allow it. It's, it's against the, the law of physics. And not only did he did it, do it, but he did it for way less than they were already spending with their current budget. And he was looking at their space shuttles and saying this, they were using technology from the 60s. It was so antiquated and outdated. And he was like so flabbergasted that these are the people I looked up to. This is who I was. These were my role models. And to find out that they were so far behind was like a punch in the gut for him. And I love how one of the things that he did was he said that he put his engineers on an island off the coast of Hawaii to prevent them from having any distractions from friends, family, or other projects that could come their way. And it isolated them where they could just put their heads down and work for X amount of time to really churn out the best results. And I was just so inspired. I mean, there's so many nuggets in that book that I was just so enthralled by. And I'm sure you got to witness it firsthand being a part of Tesla. Oh, absolutely. And I think, again, that's what really encouraged me as a, as a single person. Quite often, people are afraid to embark on, on new journeys or new business ideas. And I think Elon Musk is such a role model to showcase that I am one person. And if I can make such an impact, you know, why can't you? And I felt that I was chosen as, as as somebody to be part of that team because they'd seen maybe that that side of me because I had left law school to start my journey as a manager because I'd made that change and you know I, I highlighted that in my application because I think it's so important when you're joining companies like this they're not looking for someone that comes with a full-fledged uh, you know degree qualifications and experience because it's so new Elon Musk started as a blank canvas he you know, really started these ideas from the ground up. And I think he really motivates me even now with everything he's doing, that you really are not just this small little cog in the system. You can have a really dramatic impact if you're passionate about something. And when I read about his plans and also when I read about Nikolai Tesla and how he was very much you know, this genius, but didn't have this business acumen and he kept all his ideas to himself. And, you know, a lot of his ideas were stolen and they weren't patented. So, you know, the likes of Edison and Marconi just completely took away his success. I felt that it was inspiring that Elon Musk had just opened up the patents to everybody and said, you know what, we have done this, but we don't want to be single-handedly, you know, making this transition towards you know, uh, a zero emission future, we want to inspire others to actually jump on the bandwagon and do it with us. And so I think that really gave me the, the fire, you know, to, to want to join this company, knowing that I'll be able to make a difference, knowing that it will be something rewarding um, and essentially something fun. You know, it was so different to what I'd done before. Um, Tesla would how did you make that transition from tesla then to starting your own yeah so what tesla did was really interesting we um we all came from different backgrounds some people came from apple some people came from you know um call center backgrounds i myself came from luxury retail so it was a very diverse group of people um and at the time there were about five or six of us in the team and they just trained us from scratch you know we stood in front of the chassis and we looked at it and we really scrutinized it and we went into the workshops and understood the battery technology we learned how to give like a whole seminar on the model s which was available at the time um and it was great because we were like the 
the ambassadors to go out there and, and teach not just the public, but um, organizations like the fire service, the police services, you know, the public sector, we were able to go out and really demonstrate to them what this product was and what it meant. And so having that kind of experience going from, from, from zero to hero, if you like, you know, going from no electric vehicle experience to being an electric vehicle expert, that really pumped me up and got me thinking about, okay, what is it that EVs have now that we're, we're going to be needing in the future, but also what don't they have now that we really need right now? And out of all the questions that customers would, would throw at me, there was a great answer that Elon Musk or, or somebody else in the team had come up with that we'd use as, as a sort of uh, a comeback. Um, but one question was out there that I really couldn't answer confidently. And that was, okay, so the car's green, but how do I know when I'm charging the car that the juice that's going into the car is green? And I thought, yeah, it's a good point. I mean, if you've got your own solar system and you're charging at home, fair enough. But for the majority of people that are on the road, they're driving to a meeting, they're driving to a, a holiday resort, they're having to charge on the road, they're having to charge at hotels. And there is really no guarantee that it's not coming from a dirty power station. And so this really challenged ideas in my mind. And I, I felt that, you know, we're moving towards, you know, this huge vehicle, um, so this huge electric vehicle uptake but we're not actually thinking about the infrastructure at the same time. We're not thinking about the sustainability of it and the future proofing of it. And so I did a little bit of my own research and I looked out on the market to see what was available. Um, I reached out to Menekes uh, as sort of a starting point. So Menekes are a German company. Um, they're what you call a Mittelstand company in, in Germany. So they're like a, a, a medium family owned business. They're very successful um, and, and they actually designed the original plug sockets of, of electric vehicle charging points. So a lot of plug sockets that you see out there, they'll have a Menekes um, type two adapter. So I reached out to them and I, I wanted to understand what inspired them to create this infrastructure and where they were headed to kind of gauge where, you know, where infrastructure is, is, is going to. Yeah, you were doing your customer discovery analysis and trying to discover the problem a little bit deeper. That's Very entrepreneurial right. of you. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And so it was really fascinating because I didn't expect such a great response from them, but they actually invited me to Germany, to the head office to actually come and have a look. And they had some great ideas and, and also great projects that they were already working on in terms of renewable charging. Um, so I, I remember having a day off scheduled uh, and Tess, working for Tessa was pretty busy. So having a day off scheduled was uh, always a bit uncertain, but I managed to book my flight to Germany and I managed to go out there and really look at the, their products and have those conversations. And then it really quickly became evident to me that the idea is there, but it's missing something. And then I, I, I remember being um, at work one day and, and going down to the, um, the lounge to, to pick up a coffee and I bumped into a customer. And in those days, having a customer was quite rare. So early adopters were, were in the very few. And so I met a, a, a man called Mark Maurice and he was on his laptop hacking away. And I said, oh, would you like a coffee? And are you here to, to meet with us? And 
you know, I thought he was part of the team. I thought he traveled down from London. And he said, no, no, I'm actually a customer. I'm just waiting for my Model S. And I said, oh, wow, it's a pleasure no to meet you. <laughs> yeah, this is great. I've got a customer to speak to. This is fantastic. And um, one of the exciting things for me back then was also to understand why a customer would buy right now when it's so new and it's such a niche product. What was you know, his uh, inspiration behind it? And quite quickly, we um, got into the conversation um, whereby he told me that he was so passionate about the environment. And before he even knew he wanted an, an electric car, he had already designed his own solar carport. So he had paired together this um, German company that makes carports. And then he researched solar panels that were really efficient and, and, and transparent in modules. And he'd put the two together. And so being an, an, an engineer, he'd come up with this concept, which was like the missing piece of puzzle for me. And uh, I wow, still remember luck, I was... Luck yeah. is on your side for some absolutely. reason. I think chances? I just summoned these things. Absolutely. But um, it was fantastic. The conversation I had with Mark then really started to, to get me seriously thinking about the possibility of introducing renewable infrastructure. Um, and, and some weeks on, we put our heads together and we, we really started to pinpoint um, all the different components. So everything from battery storage to smart software solutions, to the usability, to what kind of audience this would appeal to. And, you know, first it started off as like a very niche domestic market, you know, just the Tesla owners, the people that have invested in an electric vehicle that would like to have an accessory to- Like to a carport for your home. That's right, carport so, for your home. So instead of a garage, perfect. have a carport. So, um, and then for those listening, it, it's essentially, it's got a roof with solar panels to cover your car and it's also a charging station. That's right. That's right. So the energy that you can create on site is then feeding straight into the electric vehicle. And when your electric vehicle isn't parked under the solar carport, the energy is feeding into a battery storage system so that when the car is returned to its um, parking space, it can then be offset into the vehicle. So it was quite a simple concept back then, but it very quickly grew to then being offered to the commercial market and to the public sector. Yeah, so I could see that looking, being helpful for like a high rise or a corporate, you know, park parking center that they can use this for any of their employees that have an electric car or any high rise. Like I live in a high rise and, you know, our parking garages, we don't have that, but that would be interesting if there was a solar panel incorporated into these commercial settings. Sure, sure. I mean, it's like a communal unit that you, you can put together and it's, it's a modular unit as well. So you can, you know, put in maybe four bays to start with and then as demand increases just add add more unit spaces and it's a very clever concept as well from the point of view of a, a psychological uptake so being an ev driver um and, and working with ev drivers one thing that was really interesting was that people said they couldn't see ev charging points and therefore um the confidence within the greater community was, oh, we're not ready for electric vehicles because there's no infrastructure. But we as Tesla knew, we knew that there's more charging points in the UK than petrol stations at that time. You know, even though they were small points and they were scattered around, That's there were plenty of them. So it, it wasn't, it's more of the perception of the public of, even though you knew the data to the public, they 
didn't necessarily see them. So what did you have to do? Make it more brandable and like brighter colors and stand out more. This kind of reminds me of if you've read Charles Duhigg's book, The Power of Habit, he talks about toothpaste. So toothpaste actually doesn't need to foam at all. There's no foam at all that's needed to clean your teeth. But the foam is actually to help you feel like you're getting a cleaner mouth. And so, and and same with like the mint flavor, it feels minty Mm -hmm. fresh. So to you, even though it has nothing to do with the cleaning aspect, it makes you feel like you're getting a cleaner mouth. So it seems like this is similar where even though you know the hard facts that there's more charging stations than uh, petrol stations or gas stations, as we call in the US, you, um, you need to make that perception change in the audience. That's eyes. right. That's right. And that's absolutely the case. I mean, quite often whilst working for Tesla, it was a case of going onto the computer and we'd type in uh, to the browser Zap Map, which is a really good map to showcase all the charging points in the UK. And they have a really good um, system whereby you can see um, if the charging points are occupied or if they're out of um, service. So it's a really good interactive website and we'd go onto that website and we'd zoom up the map and say, look at all the charging points. And people would just be shocked, like, wow, I didn't know that. But what happens is, and, and it's happened to me many times, you travel to the other side of the country, you know, it's completely new to you. You're already low on range. And then you're hysterically driving around the car park looking for this tiny little pump, this tiny little charging point. Now, when you go to a gas station or petrol station, you don't look for the pumps. You look for the big canopy, right? Right. You look for the big branding. You look for the canopy. You look for the shop. That's your gas station. That's your peace of mind. And so my thought process then was, well, why aren't we doing the same for electric vehicles? We're trying to champion these cars. We're trying to make them better than combustion engines. But at the same time, unless we do something great in the way of infrastructure. Now, Tesla did it great. They did the superchargers. They did them nice and fancy. They put red lights on them. Great. But unless we do something like that, we're not going to get the adoption. And so that was really one of the, um, the interesting turning points for Salisco. So I started Salisco in 2016. I made the decision. That's it. I need to go for it. I've got the ideas. I've got a good um, network of, of, of pioneers. Um, Mark, actually, initially I said to Mark, why don't you do this? You know, it was me giving him the idea that he can start this business. And he said to me, Praveen, I've got my own business. It's a successful business and I'm busy and it's just me. And so if you want to do it, I'll support you. I'll I'll help you. I'll, 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 you know, I'll put you in touch with the people that I know, but essentially I can't take on another business. And so when he put that question to me, he said, why don't you do it? yeah hell yeah why don't I do it you know there's nothing stopping me (laughs) um so yes I I established Salisco in 2016 um essentially Salisco is an uh, a firm that offers consultancy thought leadership as well as the um, design and planning and supply and execution of renewable charging infrastructure so a typical customer would come to us and say, okay, so I have this hotel. I want to attract electric vehicle drivers to my hotel. I have a great car park. Um, obviously, I don't have enough energy to power a dozen chargers, 
but is there anything you can do with your solar equipment? So we'd look at the car park, we'd look at the shading and elements such as, you know, how far the, the distribution board would be, um, how easy it is to, to do the foundations. And then we would put together a proposal with a solar carport, um, considering things like battery storage and smart charging. And then essentially, if they go for it, we would supply and execute, we'd install the whole infrastructure. So it's like coming to one place and, and, and getting everything done. So I really wanted to take that, that retail experience that I'd learnt. You know, if you go to Selfridges and you need to buy a few things, it's all under one roof and everybody's there to, to yeah, it's like you a that personalised service. A one-stop shop and you already have the sales experience, the customer service experience. Now you have the execution experience and you get to put all those entrepreneurial traits together and, and serve Salisco. And it sounds like you're doing that. So, I mean, this reminds me of, so the, the reason I made the Forbes list was from my ed tech company where we educate children using text messages, WhatsApp. And what we found is more companies want text messages, not just for education, but for other purposes to reach their audience, their team. And we work with this solar company where they have, uh, they normally have to call up their customers and ask them questions like, how old is your roof? How much sun exposure does your roof get? And there's like five main questions that mm -hmm. either qualify the lead or they're, they find out they're unqualified and they cannot be a customer. And they were having to call these individuals one, by one, by one, even if they're not qualified out of 10 people, you might find, let's say two that are qualified. So we automated that whole process via text messages now and WhatsApp and whatnot. But this, this makes me think of it where how you have to vet these individuals. So a customer will typically come to you or whether it's commercial or residential and say, Hey, we have a car park, you know, can you vet it to see if we're eligible for your carport? Is that how it works? Sure, sure thing. So I think it's really interesting that, you know, we didn't have to design um, the technology behind any of the components, you know, battery storage exists. It's, it's great um, that, that a lot of companies have, have come so far with battery storage. So we didn't have to reinvent the wheel and, and design our own version. And in the same way, there's tons of electric vehicle charging points. Um, companies out there that provide the points but for, a, for an end user it's so difficult to choose and to differentiate what the the benefits are between them um, and in the same way with with carports they've been around for years but here we've put in the the engineering element and we're able to to make it a, an integrated product so the the great thing is the customers just coming to one person and saying okay this is my my requirement, this is my budget, these are my problems. And then amongst the team that we've already established, you know, all these are the pioneers, all these are the companies with wealth of knowledge, we're able to pick their brains and, and ask them for what, what do you think would be suitable? And then get back to that customer without making them feel like they've had to, as you say, go through all these questions and be passed on from person to person to establish really, you know, tedious uh, bits of data. And so I think streamlining things is, is so important. And, um, you know, being in, in, in Tesla, working for Tesla and seeing how fast paced um, it was there, you know, having test drives one after another, having to put through sales, having to, you know, do delivery handovers. It was never an easy process, but you pick up things along the way that makes you realize, okay, this is a better way of doing it. And so for a customer to come to us and have that confidence instilled that, okay, they know what they're talking about. They've been doing it for a while. They have all the contacts. 
they're happy to leave it to us and and and, and trust that we'll That's get awesome. back to them with something so um I, again like with your business what we were involved with doing in the first two years i'd say was just educating um, people so you know the, the audience be it an, a private user or be it um, you know uh, a, a public sector organization we needed to really inform them about what electric uh, you know electromobility um, consists of and so for a while that's what we've been doing educating and forming these um, principles and ideas and, and now we hope that we're at a time where we can actually deploy and, and, and get the momentum um, get get some projects off the ground it's so cool I mean this is obviously the future of energy um, I think you know like Elon said we're gonna look back at gasoline cars and think of them like horses and carriages like we did when the, the Model T came about I love that you know, he's so good at executing, but he's also a bit cheeky as well. He's not your typical CEO. Like I love, I, I love the story about how when the PayPal mafia and Peter Thiel and him had the falling out when they were trying to combine his company for finance and PayPal, they were going to have a merger and Elon wanted to call it X.com and Peter Thiel wanted to call it PayPal and, and his whole team. And Elon was so gung-ho about the X.com. But if you remember back in the 90s, anything with X in the URL was usually a pornography site. And they were like, Elon, this is a bad <laughs> idea. <laughs> and so, you know, ultimately they had a falling out. But I love how he says that the way that he's kind of sh throwing shade back at them is by spelling the word sexy with his model s the model three which is a backwards e because that's right model three was already patented or, or taken trademarked and then the model x and then the model y, y. i'm like what a that's great right. idea that's right and and, ex and that's exactly what he did with with the brand itself you know he created an electric vehicle and marketed it as a sexy vehicle it wasn't your milk flow it wasn't your you know i mean nissan leaf is great that they've achieved what they have but not not your typical ceo or tech company would want to be seen in that exactly <laughs> and so what elon did did was fantastic he created a sexy product he made it expensive but he made it this this you know aspiration for people and for me having come from burberry you know trench coats to buy a trench coat for a thousand pounds seemed ridiculous, but I saw how people bought this, saved up for it, and really valued that this is something so precious, and that I pass it down, and this is a symbol of of of, of iconic, you know, and that's exactly what Elon did with 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 EVs. He really changed the bad stereotype that electric vehicles had. It had such it, a negative stigma of like sure. A vegan, you know, guy doesn't work out and just drives around in a Toyota Prius and, you know, you got to give him credit. He, because why, why was it that we had to make the cars look so ugly just to be, I mean, no one would want an electrical ve electric vehicle after that. That's right. That's right. And I think he did it in such a clever way because he didn't just go for the mass market. You know, he started off premium, you know, even going back to the roadster, he started off premium and now he's um, launched the Model 3. And I know it's been so successful. I mean, in the last few months, even, I think Model 3 has headlined all the, all the way through, you know, from overcoming, taking over cars like the, the Vauxhall Corsa or the Mercedes A-Class. I've always been your staple, you know, uh, mid-range vehicles. 
now Model 3 sitting on top and it's an electric vehicle, but people don't look at it as just an EV. They're looking at looking at it as like, wow, it's an amazing car. It's an amazing it's innovation. And I like features. what, yeah, it's innovative. It's new. It's fresh. It's different. It's unique. And I like what you said, which is the tactic of starting with a high value and then working your way backwards. Um, it's kind of like people pay for, pay attention to what they pay for. And That's so when you right. give them that high value, they're more likely to pay attention to it and also aspire towards it. Xerox, the copy machine did a similar thing where they created a premium functioning copy machine, but they realized it's too good. And so they actually dumbed it down. They slowed it down. We put a device in it to slow it down to sell a more affordable version of it so they could you know, have a different pricing packages. Yeah, no, I think it's clever. And I think a lot of um, watch manufacturers do the same. You know, they launch this high-end luxury watch, but then they have a sister company that then makes the more affordable version. And then people aspire to buy this because it's one step closer. And yeah, I think it's a fantastic concept. And I think certainly for Solisco, one thing we wanted to make sure was that we're doing things properly we're not putting in infrastructure that's going to be redundant after 10 years we didn't want to put in infrastructure that is cheap and cheerful like much of the house bill that we've seen you know prevalent in in, in the uk and, and in many countries you know and so what we wanted to do was really look at a highly engineered solution something that's going to last for a hundred years uh, and more you know in terms of the foundations in terms of this structure but then look at what what makes it move with the future so look at software solutions that adapt so as you buy an electric vehicle today in 10 years time when vehicle to grid and vehicle to home um, technology evolves that you can drive this electric vehicle charge it in your solar carport and then drive to work and work will pay you for your energy to, to power the office building or in the same way you power your car at work using the solar carport that your employer has installed and then when you arrive home you plug in the vehicle and your vehicle offsets some of your energy demands at home and so that's the kind of technology that we're working on that we're, we're looking to incorporate so that infrastructure is really system. built to last true systems thinking approach to it. I love that. That's right. That's right. And I think that's what makes my job so exciting. It's, it's ever evolving. It's not standing still. I'm not suddenly scratching my head thinking, what can I do next? There's so many things happening in the industry and being a part of a new industry is so exciting because you're meeting with all these fascinating people. You're putting your, your, thoughts together you're helping each other which again is, is very important i think it's a very obvious um sort of approach here in, in electric vehicles and in renewable energy a lot of people are collaborating and a lot of our success has come from collaborating with companies you know there's no point being in harsh competition with one another ultimately we need to move towards cleaner air um, zero emissions and so if somebody has got a product like wireless charging pads and we think yes that's a great product we want to be part of that we want to integrate it into our offering and then launch it to to our audience yeah so, um, well i like yes, you have the business acumen behind it too which is the most important i think because uh, you know i always bring this argument up when people are like oh you know we need to change the regulations in government and trump doesn't believe in climate change so it's not gonna happen like of course he does. He's just being paid way more money by the big oil companies and the petrol companies than the, some of the 
you know, renewable energy companies are until you can solve the financial incentive, you're going to have the same issues and you come, you tackle it and Elon tackled it from a business sense. It makes a better business sense to do it financially. And until that reaches the political regimes and until the money is more incentivizing than what the big oil companies can offer, we're going to have more of the same. So how do you handle that? I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, how you handle beating the regulatory bodies, because Elon even said, even though we had the data showing seatbelts saved people's lives, it took 20 years for car companies to install this as a mandatory safety item in the car and the regulatory bodies to create a law that enforced this. So when you're up against a 20 year time frame, I'm sure it's shorter now, but how do you tackle that? And the other question I have is I'm curious to know the energy that you store when the car is not being used and in the battery, can you use that energy for other things other than your car, like to power your house or such? So I'll start with the first question. And I think it's really important to say, certainly in the UK, we've seen um, the big oil and gas companies, um, you know, open up a, a sort of, assist the department within their organization to work towards adding um, greener technologies to their portfolio. So we actually worked with one of the largest um, oil companies. We consulted them um, two years ago and it was so exciting to, to have them come to us and ask us to train them on electric vehicles and, and how to train their staff on, on electric vehicles. So it really shows that they're going in that direction and there are, there are so many companies investing in solar renewables, um, buying charging networks. And so it's quite promising to see them doing that. And I think naturally, if they want to survive, you know, if they want to have a business in, in, in 10 years time, even they need to do that. We've Adapt seen how, or die. Sure. We've seen how Blockbuster has lost to Netflix. We've seen how Kodak has lost to the smartphone phone uh, cameras so you know so could you see like a shell shell is the big one here and a circle k could you sunoco could you see those kind of starting to adapt to like half petrol and gas and half electric sure 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 thing so certainly from my own experience i've seen bp and shell make some really good um, moves in 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 the past so from buying um electric car charging companies to investing in renewables um i know that bp is working on actually um creating their own high power charging stations so within their forecourts they can offer ev drivers to come and have like a maybe a 10 10 to 20 minute charge boost. So it's really going in the right direction. And I think that it's only a case of a few more years before it becomes mandatory for all of the, the oil and gas companies to do the same. And if they don't, then they might as well just shut their doors now because those big companies will take over the majority of, of users. So I think that's a very promising thing to see. Certainly from, from our point of view as, as, as a business, we've done a lot of um, round table meeting and discussions with government. So we're really helping to shape the policy. We're involved in um, seminars and presentations where we inspire people with the projects that we're working on and really deliver that, that thought leadership behind where we're headed, you know, where we are today. I mean, if I think back to 2013, there were around three and a half thousand plug-in vehicles in the UK. And now coming to 2020, we have over 250,000. 
So, you know, in that short space of time, you can see that curve. And I believe by 2040, we're going to be going over 13 million EVs, you know, worldwide. So I think because that data is here now and because we're seeing, you know, only in recent um, weeks, you know, the, the electric vehicle uptake figures, I think naturally a lot of companies are going to go in that direction to support. Um, and, and government is doing what they can. I know certainly in, in the UK, they're incentivizing, they've just launched um, this green number plates uh, initiative. So if you've got an electric vehicle, you'll have a special um, number plate. Oh, that's and pretty it cool. Allows you, yeah, it allows you to drive in bus lanes. It gives you certain incentives and very similar to what Norway did. So Norway has been a world leader in electric vehicles. They've had the tax breaks. They've had the um, EV initiatives such as driving in, in, in taxi lanes and bus lanes and parking for free. And so really incentivizing people to go for EVs. Um, so I think that's certainly going to help um, as a business. Yeah, I've, even, I've even seen it in my high rise. We have like four char EV charging stations per floor in our wow. parking garage. We don't have the solar panels uh, yet, but that would be cool too. And I could even see that being helpful for, you know, not just charging stations here, but also just energy in, in general of creating these more renewable uh, places to live and giving, sure. the, I like that idea of the green license plate. It's like a stamp of approval, like I'm doing That's the right, right thing and you make it more brandable. That's right. You, you suddenly have that club feeling like I want to be part of that club they're the green club and I you know I, I'm going to aspire to get to that club too and going back to your point about um, having the renewable energy quite often the first phase is EV charging points and then people think of the solar canopy afterwards and I think whichever way you do it whether it's a, a phased approach or whether you go in from day one with the canopy the great thing you're doing there is you're putting in a microgrid infrastructure so it could be a rooftop car park of a multi-story building it could be a shop shopping center, car park. And what it is essentially is a gray space. It's a dead end gray space that you're then building um, renewable uh, energy from. And if you think how many, um, how, how much land is wasted to solar farms, you know, how much green land is destroyed and get so much opposition from community, which is understandable. I know certainly here in, in St. Lucia, they have beautiful rainforests, have beautiful hills, and, and the last thing they want is for it to be destroyed and you know for renewable energy to go in because they won't make that 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 link that this is a, a good thing. They look at it as yeah, like oh, we've got an organisation trying to make a lot of money here. You know, it almost seems counterproductive. It's like you're chopping down the trees to get to renewable That's energy. Right. It's like wait a second, we're creating a whole another problem now. Exactly. That's right. So I think it's really important that if we can try and um, you know, provide that thought leadership as to look, if you've got a car park, if you've got this gray space, if you've got this bit of tarmac, no matter how big or small, we can try and, you know, create that into an innovative energy hub. That's so much more of a sustainable way of tackling not just electric vehicle charging, but, you know, energy offsetting, you know, renewable energy, introducing that to any building, whether it's a factory, whether it's a school, whether it's an office, and whether it's your home. So going on to your second question about electric cars and can they power, um, you know, other things? Yes, absolutely. Essentially, your electric vehicle is, is a battery on wheels. And so if you think about it, you know, the, the electric car is being driven maybe for somebody, it might be 100 miles a day. For other people, it might be 200 miles a day. But essentially, 
you know, you can get to a point where you always have this surplus amount left over. And then in the future, when the technology is being, you know, adapted for your home, um, I know certainly some manufacturers are, are almost there and integrating it into their vehicle. So the Nissan Leaf, um, the Mitsubishi, there's a few brands out there that already have this capability. But essentially, eventually you can park the vehicle back at home and feed that energy uh, from your vehicle to your house and that's what's that's awesome coming that's plug the, it in your home vehicle. and just Get all your charging your phone charging everything right from your home you just sure, run run sure. it from your car it's that's just like a, right. i like how you put it it's a big battery on wheels that's right that's right one of the common um one of the common myths within my industry is that you know if we get too many electric vehicles the grid's going to collapse you know we're going to get this whole blackout moment and everyone's going to plug in at the same time and it's going to be this huge problem but actually we're starting to discover that electric vehicles are part of this solution are part of a new opportunity where you know electric vehicles can store all this renewable energy that we're generating and sometimes we're actually having to switch off wind turbines because we have too much renewable energy coming in and so instead of switching them off which is just the most craziest thing to do after you've invested in putting these huge expensive kits up instead of switching them off let's start charging the vehicles that are constantly driving around during the daytime, let's charge those up with the energy so we can offset this renewable surplus. And then in the evenings when people are plugging in and are switching on the TVs and washing machines and cookers and everything else that they do, that we actually have these battery storage vehicles available to actually cater for that additional peak. So, um, yeah, the National Grid in the UK has definitely said that uh, the UK is ready for the influx of EVs and that EVs become part of the solution and not part of the problem. Awesome. So I'm, I'm sure there's commercial so incentives here as well. I'm not sure of them. I know for the residential standpoint, they give you a, a brand new roof for free if you invest in solar, which is pretty cool, but I'm not sure from the commercial side. Um, yeah. But now thinking about your journey in particular, um, Parveen, what was the single most important personal attribute that you think you, you helped you get to where you are today, reaching success? Sure. I, I think I, I definitely owe it to the people that I've been surrounded by. So I'm a believer of a mastermind group. I believe that you have to surround yourself with people that are you know, supporting your dreams, but also have similar dreams and similar experiences. Um, if you've read Napoleon Hill, you know, you'll, you'll know very much about the, the things he talks about in terms of, you, you don't have to rich. be, yeah, you don't have to be the sole thinker of, of, of everything you need. You just need to be around people that you can take something from and also give something to them. And so I've, I've been very lucky and very fortunate that starting very uh, much from the beginning with my dad, seeing him being a hard worker, um, watching his success, you know, slowly come and, and, and seeing how he kept it humble, how he didn't, you know, just buy a flashy house and a flashy car and say, yes, I've, I've made it, but instead always kept things on a low profile, but strive to work hard and never afraid of new challenges. That certainly motivated me. He used to tell us, don't cut corners. If you're going to do a job, do it properly or don't do it at all. And so when we were doing the hoovering or the mopping, we couldn't miss, we couldn't miss a, a corner without my dad spotting it. Um, so he always taught us to work hard. And I think um, having that kind of inspiration from an early age really 
really skilled me. And then when I, when I went through Burberry and Tesla um, and, and my journey with Cilisco, I met with a lot of people that had done the same, you know, had grown a company from, from, you know, absolutely nothing. And, you know, having Mark as a mentor as well, he, he very much showed me he was the living proof that one person can be a successful CEO, CTO, HR, health and safety person all in one, you know, sometimes it is just you against everyone else and you have to spin those plates. And I think, you know, having that, that inspiration has really helped me to not lose faith in myself that, you know, I'm one person in, in an industry that, you know, has, has, bigger companies with with more deeper pockets you know i think if you've got an idea and you've got the right attitude and the right passion um that it's achievable um and finally another person that's really motivated me and um he's no longer alive but you might know of him dr wayne dyer have you heard of dr wayne dyer? oh yes yeah? i'm a self-improvement <laughs> junkie too so i love that <laughs> oh. you're bringing up all the favorites now and oh, you know great. you'll actually appreciate this story so do you know where the, the t term mastermind came from? No, but go on. It was coined by Napoleon Hill in 1925 when he was studying oh, yeah. the laws of success and Henry yeah. Ford and yeah. Rockefeller. And he wanted to find out what's the common theme that they all had to find out what is that true core principle of success. And he found the one thing that they all had in common was they all met regularly with other like-minded individuals, smart, influential, high achievers from different disciplines so they could have a regular meeting of minds, which ultimately created a mastermind that was thinking for them. And he called it the mastermind. So it was coined by him, but it was actually in 1727, about 200 years earlier, Ben Franklin in Philadelphia was doing the same thing. He just didn't call it the mastermind for him. He would meet every Friday at a tavern with other influential individuals, scientists, businessmen, etc., and politicians. And he called it the Junta Club. And Junta, Junta means assemble in Spanish. And so uh -huh. for him, that's, yeah, that he's the, I guess, founding father of the idea of the mastermind, but I'm sure it was done previously without. Sure, sure. I first read it, you know, from Napoleon Hill and I thought it's a great concept. And actually prior to reading about it, I'd felt that I'd naturally done that as well, just with people around me, you know, having worked um, in, in the, the, sectors like luxury retail and Tesla you met people that were affluent you met people that owned their own businesses that were CEOs and so naturally I was quite lucky to be surrounded by that but in 2015 just before I started working for Tesla actually um, I came across uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer I watched um, his film slash documentary called The Shift um, and it was so interesting to just get more of a spiritual take on life you know whether you're trying to attract wealth or health or, you know, just um, a positive sense of spirituality. He just taught me from that movie and, and from the books that I've read um, that he's authored that you just have to let go of your ego and, and let go of the things that you can't take control of and actually know that what you want to do is to serve others and to help others and naturally things will come back to you. And so, you know, throughout my time with Tesla and, and now with Cilisco, that's the kind of uh, mantra that's been um, beaten inside of me that I'm doing something to help people. I see people every day suffering from 
you know, the poor air quality in, in the cities in, in the UK, um, here in St. Lucia even, is such a small island, yet there's such a big pollution problem. You know, a lot of dirty vehicles get sent here and it's just such a shame. And I feel that I want to do what I can to help them. And yeah, everybody's got to make a living. But for me, I'm not looking at it as to be successful, I need to make this amount of money by the end of the year. For me, it's very much based around the goals I need to, I need to achieve to help others. And so Dr. Wayne Dyer was, was very fundamental in, in shaping that for me and really helping me to, to um, instill that into, into everything I do. So that's definitely what I'd uh, associate for, to my personal attributes. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Parveen. And we talked about your success, but what about on the flip side? during your journey, knowing what you know now, what's maybe a lesson that you've learned that you wish you had learned from sooner? Okay, yeah, I think I'm the sort of person that doesn't necessarily have deep regrets. I, um, I try to dust things off quite quickly, so I don't dwell on things. Um, but I think like an apparent failure could be the fact that I didn't finish my degree. And I look at it now and I think I'm so glad I didn't because I've gone in such a better direction. Um, but I think, I think you can look at that as like, you know, it, it was a failure not completing something. So for me, I like to complete something. I like to perfect it and, and know it's done. So maybe a part of me still feels that I need to do something in that space. Um, a, few, a few years ago, I was actually invited to, um, to Bangladesh. Um, actually, it was just last year. Gosh, it feels like a few years ago. But just last year, I was invited to Bangladesh um, by Keele University, um, which I've been working really closely with on my Salisco projects. But on the flip side, they wanted to take Salisco to Bangladesh to actually um, help them understand how they can create microgrid systems, not necessarily for electric vehicles, but just generally for energy freedom and, and, and to fight the energy poverty problem. And for me, great, because, you know, my parents are Bangladeshi. As a child, I used to go to Bangladesh, you know, deep into the villages of my grandparents' homes and really live the simple life for a few weeks at a time. And I'm telling you, electricity would tap out like that every couple of minutes. And it was quite obvious that... Um, it was quite obvious that they weren't as fortunate as us, you know, living in, in a country where energy is, is probably taken for granted. And, and so one thing I think that I'd like to do is turn that failure of not finishing my law degree into a positive and, and maybe do something in that space to, to actually, you know, teach them something about how they can be clever with, with the energy out there. So even though I'm not the one that's being taught a degree, maybe I can help shape, you know, some, some mm. education for them. Yeah. That's, that's admirable of you. And, and I commend you on the laudable work you're doing. And yeah, the impact you're going to make is, is going to share ripples throughout the globe and in, in energy usage. I remember even when I was living in the slums of Nigeria, the way that they light up their homes is lighting a, uh, barrels metal barrels of kerosene on fire and so you can imagine the fumes and the chemical intoxication that they're having is just uh i mean it's it's unacceptable and unnecessary now with the technology we have so hopefully the world will have it uh, and we'll be on renewable energy with clean air clean water one day with your help we're going to get there 
Oh, I hope so. I hope so. I think there's a lot of a lot of experts, a lot of passionate people working in this space. So I hope that we can all collectively do our do our part. I think one of the interesting things, just to pick up on the fact that you talk about the world, for once, I think we can really work together while as a global community. You know, certainly with with everything around Corona. Um, that's that's taken place over the last few months has has really tied people together and really got people talking about you know what's happening where and and what we can do and and really to learn lessons from from places that have you know managed to contain this very well compared to people you know the other countries that haven't managed to and and I think in the same way um, a few uh, maybe a few weeks ago the BBC produced an article where they did a survey asking the population whether they thought that climate change was as bad as uh, COVID, and the the response was over seventy percent of the you know global community had said yes, it's just as bad as a as as the virus. And so, I hope that we move forward now, you know, with this post-COVID world, really thinking about how we can clean up our oceans, how we can clean up our air, how we can clean up our um, transport services, how we can, you know, have this food security. Um, you know, it's fair to say that we've all enjoyed the cleaner air from the, the lack of vehicles on the road. People have been um, talking about the fact that they can see stars in the sky for the first oh, time and oh, yeah. mountains. I saw that CNN article, I think it was, where they showed in India, people were taking pictures. They finally could see the Himalayas, Himalayas from the house, yeah. which they haven't seen in 30 years. And don't That's quote right. me on the number, but I think it, it reduced emissions by like 30 to 60%, something That's insane. Ridiculous, um, ridiculous. Like dolphins are turning up in the bays of Italy. <laughs> Here actually in St. Lucia, they haven't seen flying fish for, 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 for a long while. And now they're starting to see flying fish again. And the the ocean's taking a break, you know, like we saw whales the other day, um, you know, and, and we just said like, can you imagine for the whales for once in their life, they're not listening to all these cruise ships and boats mm. like whizzing around and wow. polluting the oceans. It must be so, Noise such pollution. a yeah. moment, you know. That's a good point. And it, I think like the universe or God, whatever you want to call it was like, you know what, they, they're doing too much. We need to just stop they everything they're doing, force That's them to pause. <laughs> reflect just do less do less right. <laughs> I, I think so i think so and that's why i think from my industry in particular i'm confident that um yes covid has had a great impact you know certainly from from a project point of view things have come to a bit more of a standstill and budgets are being reevaluated, and there's no sort of signing papers just yet but i think going forward um for, for this industry it's a really good chance to make the most of um, you know, we've seen how it can be and let's try and keep it that way. And people, consumer-led behavior, I think, is going to be um, a key a key factor that people know what it feels like and, and know that they want cleaner air and know that they want the government to support this. So if people continue with that, then hopefully the government can start giving something back and making it a lot easier. And then in turn, businesses can start supporting with, with the infrastructure and with everything else that's needed. Yes. So I'm confident that coronavirus won't stop us all, you know, in our I'm tracks. Let's, let's use this, let's use this opportunity to to build back and, and I'm do confident better. too. And if we use behavioral economics to actually incentivize the right behaviors and punish the bad behaviors, I think we'll get there faster than just telling people, hey, do this, don't do this. Sure, sure. It's not what do you think program. a good punishment tactic would be then, Phil? Let me put you a question. So yeah, no, there's actually a great research on this. That was my main subject of study in my MBA program. Um, they did it actually with energy usage. 
So very simple. Humans do change behavior more often um, through social peer pressure than any other variable, more than money in monetary incentives, more than information, uh, more than anything else. Social peer pressure was the most important. So an example of this in energy usage is they did this in California, actually. They show how much energy usage you have compared to your neighbors in the same district. And so they'll, they'll have the spectrum and here's the middle and they'll show if you're over the average, they'll put it over here. If you're below the average, you're over here. Now, out of all the other variables they changed, this had the most significant change in energy consumption. Wow. They ch- Nobody wants then, to be on the naughty list. <laughs> no one wants to be on the naughty list, especially when, it, when you say com- in, compared to your neighbors in this district, sure, this is sure. where you fall. Keeping so, up with the Joneses. <laughs> so then you'll love this too. They, they add a second layer. Now they change the color. If you're above average on energy consumption, it's red, like you're in the bad zone. If you're wow. below energy consumption, you're in the green, you're in the good zone that increased the behavior change even more. Then they add a final layer, which they put an emoji, smiley face if you are below (laughs) average and a frown face if you are above average. And that increased the behavior change even more. Something so simple, dramatic change in the trajectory of of our planet and human behavior. If people just understood human behavior and human psychology a bit more, I think people would stop, you know, they would, they would start coming up with more creative, effective approaches. And there's oh, a great absolutely. book on this by Nobel laureate and economist, Dr. Thaler and Sunstein in the book Nudge. And it's okay. all about nudging people in the right direction. Sure, and so sure. it's called that. Wow, so, no, that's fantastic. You know, it's really interesting because a lot of the work that we've developed with Cilisco has been underpinned by behavioral change. And it's one of the topics we worked closely with um, Keel University on sort of... Um, uh, unfolding and uh, disseminating some ideas with the students and seeing how things could be affected and we partnered up with a company called Energy Mine and what Energy Mine do were um, they're like a, a blockchain technology firm that really reward people with energy tokens for sustainable behavior so if you cycle to work if you walk to work if you charge your electric vehicle with a solar carport they give you energy tokens and that could be led by the government. It could be incentivized by the company. And essentially you get this token and then you're like, wow, I can buy a cup of coffee or I can have this money off my energy bills. And it's just incredible to think that, you know, with technology, with blockchains, with all this, you know, this stuff coming up in the future, imagine how much we can drive people's behaviors by just, as you say, you know, studying the psychology behind what ticks, what, what makes them change their behavior and what, you know, smallest things like, you know, having five pence off your coffee if you bring in your own cup to Starbucks, you know, something like that, or the five pence off the bags, you know, plastic bags, they make such a tremendous amount of difference. So we really need to start looking at these um, models and examples in in more scrutiny and integrating them um, to shift shift our behaviors. 100%, 100% agree. And there's another book called Influence Psychology of Persuasion by Dr. Robert Cialdini. Oh, I've heard of this one. Another great one. You can learn these simple, simple things. Humans are very, very simple. Once you understand this, we're just really smart animals and we, we love convenience. Our primal brains are just trying to conserve energy. So the more convenient you make things for us, 
us, the easier, the more likely we're going to do it. And this is all about choice architecture, making sure you're taking in decision fatigue into consideration when designing uh, your programs and, and initiatives. And um, I, I hope that we can, can learn from it because there's so much work to be done in, in psychology and, and people will just really understand how simple we really are, really are if we just focus on convenience and making it easier for, we, I mean, that's why Tembo started my ed tech company. It, mm-hmm. it was all based on the idea that no one wants to download another app and no one wants to answer another email, but everybody answers their text messages. Sure. Even in the slums in developing nations, they have SMS, they have WhatsApp, they might not have a smartphone, but they have SMS and they answer their text messages. So that's why we built the education program on text messages and we rewarded the parents for educating their child. So every time they educated their child and answered the quiz correctly, we reward the parent with mobile data for their phone. That's fantastic, wow. Just game up, we're really, we're just children. We're just older children. So if we can can make life fun, more fun and and gamify it, like you did, you give them rewards, you give them points, you put an emoji, you give them a sticker, a color. We're just children that aged a little bit. So if we can get back to that childlike playfulness and curiosity that we had growing up, we're going to do a lot better. We're going to enjoy life a lot more. I 100% agree with you there, Phil. I think it's so important. I think going back to Elon Musk, it's one of the reasons he made the electric vehicles such a fast car, you know. The 0 to 60 was one of the highest selling points for, for a lot of our customers, you know. Just getting them in the car and putting your foot down, seeing their phones flying to the boot, you know, that was enough for them to make the sale. So, yeah, we just need to all be kids again and enjoy those, those simplicities yes. behind, behind making those choices, called right? Yes. What's the coolest or most unique way you or someone you know has shown gratitude for someone? Okay, so I do know a funny story here, and um, it's uh, an interesting one because I think it's very relevant with uh, countries always in disagreements with each other. So um, it's a story about um, a, uh, a team at the Swiss border office and a team at the French border office. So historically, you know, they have their, their disagreements. They're always, um, you know, offering tit-for-tat gestures. And it's, it's always a bit overwhelming in those environments. And so one day, the, one of the, um, the French border control members goes over to the Swiss office and leaves the package on the door. And the Swiss team open the door and they open this package and it's actually dog poop which isn't very nice, but it's their way of showing that they're better or more powerful, maybe. So what I like the most is uh, the Swiss response to that. So the Swiss Border Control Office team members go over and they leave their package. And when the French team open it, it's actually a fine bottle of wine, a great piece of cheese and some bread. And there's a note on there that says, everybody gives their best. (laughs) Everybody gives their best. And I think it's just so important to, to highlight stories like this because even in a situation where someone does something that isn't necessarily nice or kind, and I mean, we've seen a lot of that in the last few days, you know, there's a lot of social unrest, yeah. a lot of... Um, go with the flow. It's like Bruce right. Lee, be water. Just go with that's it. Right. Don't try to fight we need it. To, 
Yeah, we need to be kind in our actions. And even when somebody does something that's not very nice, you know, uncalled for, you know, I'd say, but you know, you, you do something that shows them that actually I'm not going to stoop to that level. I love that. I'm going to do what represents me. That was so clever. Us. So one gave dog food, <laughs> the other one gave wine, cheese and bread. And we you always give our best. best. <laughs> All right, we're going to go to the... That's a good one. Thanks for sharing that story. That's awesome, Parveen. And we're going to transition welcome. now into the final round I like to call the under 30 seconds round, a playoff the Forbes 30 under 30. I'm going to okay. fire off some questions, answer with the first thing that comes to mind. Ready? Okay. What's the book you've gifted more often than any other book and why? I'd have to say The Shift. And it's not a book, but it's a, a YouTube link. But it's absolutely fantastic. It can be watched by anyone and it can be relatable to anyone. So Perfect. The Shift by Dr. Wayne Dyer. What's one of the best investments and one of the worst investments you've ever made and why? The best investment has to be um, my diving license. So I became an, an open water diver and that's because I overcame a fear of drowning. So that's my best investment. Um, my worst investment I don't know. I don't want to say my worst investment. I don't know. Wanna... <laughs> I don't regret anything, remember? So I don't have a worst investment. There you go. Good answer. It's authentic. What's the most impactful thing you do in your morning routine and the most impactful thing you do in your evening routine, Parveen? That's easy. So in the morning, I like to do yoga. It really helps me loosen up and gives me a good flow to the day. Um, and the most impactful thing I do in the evening is I don't look at my phone for a few hours before I go to bed. That's really important. <laughs> pretend you won the peter Thiel fellowship and you're going to get money to start a business instead of go to college what's the very first thing you do to start your new business i put together a team of young people and ask them to brainstorm all their ideas about what's wrong in the world and then go with those ideas love that one love that one <laughs> last one what's something you never knew you needed oh what's something i never knew i needed a tesla an electric vehicle now i've got one no going back. That's <laughs> a good answer. Thank you so much for being here today, Parveen. Uh, before you go, what's the next big goal, milestone, or bucket list item you want to achieve? Relevant to where I am here in St. Lucia, um, being stranded out here for three months has certainly given me some time to think. And I'd like to give something back here to the community. I think with it being such a small island, such a beautiful island, it will be very easy to achieve um, some of the, the goals we've been trying to achieve um, back home in the UK. So I hope that that's one of my, my new projects that I can work on. Great. And where do yeah. listeners go to connect with you? Um, so we are quite vocal with our blogs on, on our websites. We've got a whole ton of information on EVs and renewable energy space. We have got our social media platforms. So any messages that come through will always be forwarded to me. So if you want to reach out, that's absolutely fine. We're on Twitter, Instagram, um, LinkedIn. And can you share your website or handle? Sure, sure. So it's www.salisco.co.uk. .uk and, yeah. and co.uk. And they, co.uk, that's right. Parveen and her team just launched a feasibility study called the Smart Energy Transportation and Charging Hub Project. Right. It's available to you. Oh, look at that. We even have it on camera. You can <laughs> download it via their website, head to the explore page and download the SETCH study, S-E-T-C-H. Right. And great. Please go connect with Parveen and her team. Uh, thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for being here today. This is Parveen Begum with Salisco, who provides energetic 
renewable energy carports and also consultancy for those ready to lead the future with new energy. We learned so much today. We learned how to make sure you start your day off with yoga to loosen up for the day. We learned how to go from retail to energy to entrepreneurship. I mean, you have done a lot and uh, I'm very impressed. Arvind, thank you so much for being here. It's such you. a pleasure. Thanks, Phil, for having me. Thank you so much for having me. And um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I hope that I've managed to inspire or teach someone something new today. So thank you, you so much. It was my pleasure and it was such an honor. And I can't wait to reconnect at our next rendezvous, hopefully in St. Lucia as well. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Gives this, us another excuse to be here for sure. <laughs> I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Have an amazing oh, day. It did. Thank you so much, Phil, and you. Have a great day. Thanks for joining us today. I hope this episode helped you as much as it helped me. Who do you think would benefit from hearing it? You can make an impact on their life by sharing it now. Before you go, I encourage you to tell us your favorite part of the episode in the review section. Now it's time to level up. Level up. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.